Let me pray and then we'll jump into the into God's word together. God, thank you so much for your word, for the spaces we have like this in life where we can cut out the distractions and the noise. Help us to do that right now um, and help us to hear from you. You know what every heart needs in this place uh, and there's a whole lot of needs represented. People need encouragement. People need strength. You, you know and we're asking you to do what you do in our hearts. Um, we're so thankful that you are not done with us yet. So thankful that you have a future for us that is good and beautiful. We're excited about the direction you're taking us and this church. We look with great expectation to what you're going to do, especially in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're jumping back into a series that we paused to get all Christmassy and stuff, you know, uh, called Guide Rails. Now, guide rails is a mashup of two words. It's guide posts. I don't know if you ever have seen a guide post on a trail. It's a wooden-like post with wooden signs going off the side of it, pointing in a direction and telling you how many miles it takes to get there. It's a map on the trail for you to know which way to go. And guardrails are those things on the side of the road that keep you from running into a ditch. And uh, we thought, what? A beautiful thing to combine those two. We need guide rails. Things in our life that show us the direction we're supposed to go and how to get there. And things that also keep us from running off the road of life and ending up in a ditch. Do you, do you need those? I need those. Churches need those. We need to know what direction to go into and we need some guardrails set up to keep us from losing sight of where we're going and keep us from running off the road and causing all kinds of chaos and making a mess out of things. We need those and so we have been jumping into 10 guide rails that we have as a church. Uh, you need to know this about us if you're going to be a part of Grace Free Church. You need to know these guide rails that are pushing us towards the future God has for us and keeping us from going off the road. But these are also incredible things for you personally, things that are important. We need direction in our personal lives. We need direction for our families. We need to know which way we're supposed to go, which road we're supposed to take. And we need protection, things that keep us from running off the road in our personal lives. And so we have been jumping into these, and I know you, we've done five, and I know you have them memorized. Um, you have no clue. <laughs> That's okay. I wrote them down too because I was afraid I was going to forget. These are new. We've been working on them for a while, but these are brand new to us as a church, and they're a big part of our vision and our future, so they're important to know. I'm just going to review them so that none of them are lost on us. The very first one is the most important one, and that is we keep Jesus center. As a church, we keep Jesus center. When we talk about priorities, we often talk about listing them from top to bottom. But if you get the center right, you don't got to worry about trying to keep your list right. You don't need pain to remind you when you have botched one of your priorities if you get the center right. The center is the most important part of you. How has it been doing? Jesus says, when he was asked what's most important about all the rules, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Then he said this really curious thing at the end of that to an audience that was trying to keep up 600 plus religious rules. He said, if you get these two, all of the other laws and prophets hang on these two things. 
In other words, if you get this right, if you get the center right, you end up getting everything else right, almost by accident. If you get this, these two most important things right, everything else will fall into place. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, get the center right. Get the center right in your home. Get the center right in your workplace. Get the center right in your heart. And everything else will turn out right. Seek first the kingdom of God, it says, and all these things that you're worried about will be added to you. We keep Jesus center. And second one is we keep people second. Not first, because Jesus is in that spot, but above all else. There's been a whole lot of damage done in the church world Maybe there's been a whole lot of damage done in your own personal life when those two things get out of order or when you put other things ahead of the people in your life. People are second here, not first because Jesus is most important, but above all else. You are more important to me than a program we have. You're more important to me than a brand we have. You're more important to me than having flashy worship and funny sermons I told 9.30 that they are good at crushing my spirit when I think I'm funny and that you guys are good at encouraging me and making me feel funny again. And uh, I'm not sure if you're pulling your weight yet this morning. I hope I didn't speak too soon. <laughs> People are second, more important. They're not things. Their value is not dependent on what they do for you what you get out of the relationship. Our job is to elevate people, to lift them up, to draw them closer to God, to help them see more of him. Our job is to care for and to shepherd people, to help you on this journey that you are on, whoever you are, whatever life has looked like, whatever labels society has thrown on you, our job is to come alongside you and help carry the burden. Week three, we talked about uh, difference in cultures, the kingdom culture and our kind of culture in general, which is a consumerism culture. The kingdom uh, culture is not a culture of consumerism, where we value things based on what they do for us or what we get out of them. Consumerism is something that we participate in, sometimes actively and sometimes subconsciously. It's just a world that we're in where we look at things we say, this is good because of what I get out of it. What, what can it do for me? It's a really dangerous place to be on because we can start to value people and relationships based on what we get out of them instead of just valuing them for who God has made them, who he's designed them to be, and what he wants to do in their life. We are not a part of, uh, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're not, an active, we're not supposed to be an active part of consumerism culture. Church isn't a place we go to and just consume. Something active that we are a part of. It's not a place where we go, ah, they played all the songs I like, so I like church this week. And next week they played a bunch of songs I don't like, so I don't like church. It's not about what we get out of it. It's about God and what he wants to do. And so we are not going to be caught up in, at Grace Free Church, and hopefully not in your personal lives, in a culture of consumerism. And what the challenge was that week, if you remember, and we're here for that, the challenge at the end of that week is to leave more in every room you enter than you take. Give 51% in every meeting. Give more than you take. 
in every conversation with a friend. Don't just be someone who consumes and takes from them. Add to the conversation encouragement. Give, give peace, give hope, give, give light to every room that you are in. After all, Jesus said, we are the salt and we are the light of the world. After that, we talked about the fourth one, which is we get big and stay small. And that was all about our desire for growth. That God's kingdom is a growing kingdom. That we as a church are growing as God blesses us by reaching more and more people. But we also want to help people grow spiritually. And that's even more important than growing physically as a church. Growing spiritually. You grow best in the context of relationships. That's the plan. That's the design God has. We grow in the context of relationships. This is not the ideal setting for growth. This is one dude talking to you. And you just sitting there trying not to fall asleep. That's what this is. You may get something out of it, hopefully. You know, like maybe you'll find a little inspiration along the way. There might be something challenging. I believe God uses a space like this. But this is a gathering. This is not relationships. And you grow best in the context of relationships. As churches, how do we provide for that context? Well, for us, we provide small groups, which are small areas where you can build relationships with other people because we know that's where you grow and we are committed to helping you grow. And then week five, it was we stay relevant and strong. I know this is a lot of review. Thanks for being patient with me. Relevant and strong is about God's word. There's nothing more relevant and meaningful to life than God's word. That's why I get so upset when this thing is packaged in boring ways. This is the truth. This is the way. God speaks to us through it. This book is alive and meaningful and it can cut through all of the plaque on our hearts to the real issues of what we need this is relevant, and this is where our strength comes from. It sh this should never be a place where I'm spouting off opinions at you. It should always be a place where God's word is central. Now this week, we're talking about it. You're like, about time, right? Uh, this week, we're talking about this value, this guide rail for our church, and hopefully for your personal life. This applies whether you have children or not. And, and this, is it, this is because this is our responsibility as a church. And this is the value. I'm just going to read it so I don't mess it up. I want to be clear about this. We get that our kids are our now. Our, our. I always feel weird when I say that. You guys get that's not the same word, right? Our, our. Like I'm not, a, I'm not an otter, although I don't do otters make those sounds. I don't even know what... All right, we're going off the rails here. See, this is why guide rails are important. We get that our kids are now, not just our future. Now, I have some disclaimers for you on this one. And it's never good when the preacher starts out with disclaimers. But here they are. Love them or leave them. You need to understand this about us as a church. What is happening upstairs right now in Cresona, what happens downstairs in Tremont is far more important than what is happening in this room and in our sanctuary in Tremont. Like, do you get that? That is way more important. What we do for our kids, what we provide for our kids, how we disciple our kids as a church, as individuals, is way more important than what happens in church. 
This is not an airliner that's going down. It's not. The masks pop down. This isn't, oh, put your mask on first and then we'll take care of the kids. Nuh-uh, not here. Here, we put the masks on the kids first. You know, the air mask. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, <laughs> it sounds weird when you're talking about putting masks on kids. We want to take care of them first. There are now. And what happens up there is way more important than what happens in these rooms. 75% of kids that grow up in church walk from it when they graduate high school. You know that because some of you were them. You just made your way back. Most of the kids that have been... And it makes me think not what's wrong with our kids. It makes me think what's wrong with our churches. Why have we created a space that kids as they grow up view as irrelevant or boring or out of touch, meaningless, old, just some tradition our parents thought was important? What are we doing in churches that we create these environments that are so easy to walk away from, so easy to view as something that's not important to their lives? That's a scary statistic, not for the future of our churches. It's a scary statistic for the future of our kids. Here's something real interesting. Millennials are leading the charge back, not boomers. Not Gen Xers, even though we are by far the toughest generation, besides the greatest generation. We grew up on the streets of Cresona, fending for ourselves. No cell phones to help us. Just sticks, right? Like they didn't even buy us toy guns to play war with. We had to use sticks and throw pine cones as fake grenades. We may be the toughest, <laughs> but... Guess who's leading the charge back to church? The millennials. And here's the last part of this disclaimer. We have to do a better job for millennials and their kids than we have done in a long time in church in America. So we as a church want to be part of turning the tide of those who are walking away from church. After all, we are a church for those who don't go to church anymore. We want to be part of understanding God's heart in this matter and how his heart is for kids and what he tells us about our children. And, and here's my last goal. I want, I want you and I to be motivated to be an active part of a church that is actually changing the world. I don't want to settle for anything less. I don't want to settle for just making you feel good on a Sunday morning. I want to be a part of something that is changing the world. And when you change one kid's life, you change the world for generations. Jesus says there's a different kind of greatness. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1, the disciples were gathered together and they pulled Jesus aside to question him. And what they were really asking is, who's the goat, right? Like, who's the goat disciple? Which one is the greatest of all time? So they pulled him together and they said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to them 
And he placed the child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, this would have been a shocking thing for the disciples to hear. They had spent so much time with Jesus. They had seen so much. They had participated in miracles. They would have thought highly of themselves, probably too highly of themselves. And Jesus says to this group of disciples, his followers, he doesn't say this to the heathen folk, to the non-church folk, to the disinterested folk to the messy folk. He says this to his closest followers. Unless you change and become like little children, not you won't be the greatest. Listen. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes this lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Welcomes me. We always want to know who the goat is. There's something about us that, that we want to know who's like the greatest. We create measuring sticks for valuing people. We hold them up. And I just came to answer the question for you today. The real goat is Michael Jordan. I don't know. This LeBron guy who's getting pretty old doesn't seem to have it. Michael Jordan was like the full picture, and I actually met him. Um, I don't know if you knew that, but that kind of makes me famous. <laughs> so I went to school at this place called Trinity International University um, College in, in what at the time was the third richest county in America, and um, it was right above, Deerfield's right above Chicago, and so a lot of really famous athletes live in Deerfield, and just not even half a mile down the street from our, our college, um, Michael Jordan had his house. In fact, his wife would always be in our bookstore buying books and, and all kinds of things and wearing hats to disguise herself, though nobody really made a big deal about it when she was there. We would go down to Michael Jordan's from time to time and look at his, stand in awe of his like big, huge gate with 23 on it every once in a while. If you really wanted to be annoying, you'd press a little buzzer and annoy the butler, you know, but... Um, one day we were at soccer practice and one of our buddies who wasn't on the team came flying up in his little piece of garbage car with like paint peeling off a little like compact car, beat down, the ceiling not really glued anymore. You know, you know the one, right? Like that's what college kids used to drive around back in those days. He came flying up and he's rolled down his window like, you know, like, and he looked down and he says, guys, you're never going to believe it. Michael Jordan is giving out candy. It was trick or treat. It was Halloween time. He's giving out candy at his house. So we all said, let's go. And a bunch of us piled into this car and we jumped in and we're all, we're not wearing costumes. We're wearing our like soccer warmups and we go peeling down the road in this little garbage car and we pull up to the gate and there it was. The gate was wide open and all these folks from the neighborhood with their kids were like, Walking through line, everybody looks so happy and joyous, and there we pile out of this car like, like it's a clown car with a bunch of clowns in it, you know. Um, and uh, there we are, all these soccer guys interrupting all this beautiful moment all these families are having in the neighborhood. Uh, but it was cool. The guards were really cool. They came up to us, and they were kind of all smiling like they knew we weren't really there for the candy. And they, they, they kind of said, listen, guys, have fun. We're glad you're here. Um, Michael and his daughter are glad to be doing this. Just two requests, no pictures and no autographs. As long as you do those two things, we won't break you in half and you'll have a good time. They were big dudes, man. Like, they could definitely have broken us in half. 
it was really sweet. We stood in line, and, and um, as we got closer, you could see Michael was sitting on these like kind of large steps in front of his house, and his daughter was sitting there, and they just had this huge thing of candy right in between them. By the way, Michael gives out full-size candy bars <laughs> on Halloween, in case you wanted to know that. And uh, so we're, we're just watching as families kind of came up, and this, this daughter was just so full of joy. Like, just so happy to be giving out candy. This was, like, the greatest thing. She wasn't out trick-or-treating. She was just giving candy away and having the time of her life. We get close. Finally, it's our turn to get up, and Michael sees a bunch of college eyes, and he gets up, and we kind of, like, are in this little circle, and he shakes all of our hands. And as he's shaking all of our hands, he's snily with a smirk on his face, looks at us and says, aren't you uh, guys a little too old to be trick-or-treating? And uh, my friend Dave does not look like your normal college soccer player. He was like a big frame dude, right? And he was just like a truck of a guy. And he's a bit of a comedian. And he looks at Michael Jordan straight in the eyes and he says, we're just here for the candy. (laughs) Michael takes his hand, which is about the size of the head of a tennis racket. And he starts rubbing my friend Dave's belly real slow like this. He's a brilliant comedian. His timing is impeccable. And uh, he pauses just long enough for us to be like, what in the world is going on? He goes, it looks like you've been eating a little too much candy. (laughs) (laughs) Then he graciously sat down, and his daughter kind of came up with this thing, huge smile on her face. And it was such a beautiful picture. And what sticks with me most is not the full-size pack of Skittles that I took from there that still is around somewhere, never to be eaten. It wasn't really meeting Michael Jordan, how big his hands are, how great the funny joke is. I think about that, what sticks out to me most is how much fun his kid was having. There was no celebrity. There was no rating the people in line for her. It was no, they're here to see my dad. It was just a kid taking in the beauty of the moment, hanging out with her father, enjoying life, and giving candy to a bunch of strangers that she never met. As I think about that story in relation to this passage, I think, who's really the greatest in this picture? It wasn't the college guys that sloppily and sweatily rolled into that place with a piece of junk car just trying to get some candy and meet Michael Jordan. They weren't the greatest. It wasn't the people that were in line. It wasn't Michael who was sitting there with all of his awards in the middle of the best run that basketball has ever seen. It wasn't, it wasn't Michael. It was that kid. She was just so in the moment, full of wonder, curiosity, and joy. You see, that Jesus looks at these kind of circumstances and he's, It's like it's not about how much power or prestige or skill or position you have. It's not about how well you posture in comparison to everybody else. It's not about how pretty your Instagram looks compared to everybody else. It's not whether you're projecting this kind of image that you're making it and that you're important and that you're somebody and that people should pay attention to you. That's not it at all. It's the child that catches the eye of Christ. 
It's the child he points to. And he says, oh yeah, you're having fun caught up in all this nonsense. Wasting all this time on social media trying to pretend to be somebody. You want to be somebody? You better start being like this kid. It's not power, prestige, skill, or how important you are. It's humility, dependence, trust, wonder, and awe. These are some of the things that are captured in this beautiful picture of Jesus saying the greatest is this little one. You want to be great in life? Be like the children. Have the humility of the kids. Know your place in this world and know that you are loved completely by a father. Have wonder about life and about God. Let yourself dream again. Approach God the way a kid approaches God with confidence and curiosity, not with pride and arrogance, thinking you have it all together and God's just some like genie in a bottle who's going to grant you your grocery list of requests that you present to him all the time. Instead, approach God like a child would approach God with great curiosity. The questions they ask in our children's rooms are incredible questions, far greater than any of the questions you guys ever email me. Curiosity and wonder about who God is, the beauty of it all, captured up in the story of God, not in the stuff we have to do, and utterly dependent. A child knows that they are dependent on God, and yet they have such great joy. You're supposed to be enjoying this. This relationship with God is not a burden, this great freedom that gives great joy to every part of life. And to get there, we got to start losing the cynicism. We got we to gotta lose the bitterness. We got to lose our expectations, who we think God is and what we think he should be doing right now. We got to shut up, talk less, listen more. Watch and learn and be teachable. We got to celebrate like kids celebrate. Celebrate the successes of our friends and celebrate all that God has done in our life. We got to be more like the children. There's a big by the way after this passage, a real big one. It goes on in verse 6 and it says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Those are some heavy, heavy words about Jesus. Like, you better not be putting up obstacles for these kids. You better not be tripping them up and stumbling them and, and, and causing them to stumble. You gotta remove all the obstacles and smooth the way for the kids. To get to Jesus. And I take that real seriously here. Our job as a church is to remove the obstacles and smooth the way. That's why when kids are in this room 
and not up there, which is their parents' choice, and we support that fully, and they're causing a scene, I don't care, and you better deal with it. Because we're going to remove the obstacles. Church is not going to be a place some kid goes home and hates because some grown-ups gave him dirty looks and yelled at him. Remove the obstacles and make the way. Our values for our kids' ministry, I'm just going to tell them to you, are this. We want every kid to come to grace and experience a safe environment that is biblically focused and fun and developmentally appropriate where they can meet this Jesus and fall in love with him. That are our values as a church. And woe to us, that's an old school biblical word, woe. Woe to us if we ever put up an obstacle, if we ever create a stumbling block for one of these little ones. The disciples go on just a little bit and it doesn't take them long to forget all that Jesus had just said to them. Verse 19, in chapter, the next chapter 19, verse 13, it says that people were trying to bring the little children. I'm just going to say this to close. People were trying to bring the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. The disciples rebuked them. That is not an appropriate response to be rebuking children or parents of children that are just trying to get their kids closer to Jesus. That's not an appropriate response. And I'm just, frankly, I'm not going to, I'm not going to work in a place where that happens. They had forgotten so much of what Jesus had already said to them. Jesus, he interrupts them again. I don't know why they were like that. Maybe they were like that because they just had the wrong expectations about Jesus and his time. Like, we're important to Jesus. This is about what Jesus wants to do with us, not with these distractions. These kids are just a distraction. They're just something extra we do. We'll just, we'll just get some, somebody and, and put, do, deal with the kids over there. You know, like, let them go play in the sand or something. Like, this, this time with God is about us. This time with God is not about you. It's not just about you. Sometimes I think we get that too, like our expectations Like, let's just get them straight. God expects us to care for and to disciple and to provide safe, fun, biblical teaching that's developmentally appropriate. He expects us to provide that for our kids, and it's more important than what you and I are doing in here. Maybe their expectations were off. Maybe they just had insecurities. Like, what am I going to do with these kids? You ever said that? I say it all the time about my own kids. Like, I don't know what I'm going to, what am I doing here? Like, I'm I don't know how to handle this. I have no clue what I'm doing. I feel pretty insecure in my parenting plenty of times. My kids are good at taking advantage of it to get extra Xbox time. But, and ice cream. But well played by them is all I got to say. I don't know. Sometimes we're insecure. I asked Stacy, what's the, what's the one thing? Like she knew we were talking about this, our children's director here at Persona. I said, what do you, what do you want me to say? Like, doing this whole message about how we need to get this right as a church. And she said, I wish people would just know that they don't have to know everything. They don't have to have answers. They don't have to be able to teach. They don't have to have some skill. They don't have to have an educational history to serve in our children's ministry. I think people feel insecure, and so they don't serve when all we really need, because we provide everything else, 
are people who love God and love kids. That's it. We provide everything else. We have everything else. We've invested in everything else. I just need people that love God and love kids to serve and to help. I don't know, maybe their insecurities got in the way. Maybe it was just selfishness because that's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to, to feel that way, to want it to be about me and my problem and what I'm dealing with. I don't know, but for whatever reason, Jesus, he calls him out and he says, let these little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The question is, are we as a church going to be like the disciples or like the people who brought the kids to Jesus? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much Um, for all you have done for us. Would you help us to be better at caring for and providing for the most precious ones in your kingdom, the greatest ones in your kingdom? Some of them are scattered around the room here today. A lot of them are upstairs. Help us to be a church that protects them and cares for them and shows them who you are. Help us to value our kids' ministry more than we value these big gatherings we have. Help us to make a difference in their lives and be a part of turning the tide as people come back to you. We ask all this you know, humbly. We want to we be more, less like ourselves and more like the children. Fill us with wonder about who you are. Give us a curiosity for more of you. Help us to trust you, to depend on you, knowing that you are our good Father who loves us and who has a future for us. In Jesus' name, amen.